do have a couple of announcements. Um, there's a few things on the horizon as far as the church. Um, we have a couple of events that we would encourage you guys to be involved in. Um, number one, we have our Fathers and Sons Bible Study on November 9th. So obviously every other Wednesday, we did finally, after three meetings, finish James chapter 1. But I don't know about you guys, but there's a lot to swallow in, in the book of James. Very practical, very hard-hitting. Um, but anyway, uh, we'll be in chapter 2 on the 9th, and that will be the first Wednesday after the time change, so it's going to be dark. You're not going to be doing anything else except if it's sitting in the house. You may as well be here. Um, and then uh, Kelly wanted me to announce that there are opportunities in November and December to watch the kids. Um, beware if you are going to sign up. Um, we're going to call you ahead of time to say, hey, remember you signed up. It was a month ago, but here it is, and we need your help in the nursery. And it's just as simple as loving on those kids, uh, changing their diapers, um, you know, talking to them. And, uh, and if I don't go long-winded, you'll probably be a lot more blessed, and you won't have to fight them when they get all cranky and stuff. But um, anyway, it's a huge need so that the older kids can learn at their level and that the person back there teaching the older kids isn't divided in their attention between watching the nursery and watching the kids, especially it's a huge blessing to Kelly and I because most of the time it's just our kid. So um, that being said, upcoming event, we are planning on having an Arca the first annual, or the first, Arcadia Valley Chapel Thanksgiving. So that will be the Thursday or the Friday. We haven't settled on a date yet before Thanksgiving, and it's going to be an opportunity to invite your neighbors. Every one of our neighbors that we have prayed for this year, uh, we've had opportunities to minister to them. And what I mean by ministers, we've had opportunities to serve them. You know, we got to, you guys saw in the prayer request that we had an opportunity to be there with Larry and Serenelle as she had a minor heart attack the other night, and I got to go see her at the hospital yesterday. Um, keep praying for her, um, but it's a neat opportunity just to be with people while they're hurting and going through life. Um, but it'd be an opportunity to invite your neighbors. And if you have neighbors that are going to come, let us know so we have a head count. We can figure out how much food we need to get. I don't know if we're going to get Bailey Joe's or if we're going to get something from Rubles, which I'm, I'm voting for Rubles. I like me some spare ribs. And uh, so that's an opportunity coming up as well. And then I think the first weekend of... Um, December, there's, we're going to be going to Sullivan, for those of you who want to go, to the journey to Bethlehem. We went last year, and I think that was one of the coolest events we'd ever done, aside from Highway 185 and the, the stomachs that got a little upset on the way. If you got a, you know, a weak stomach, sit in the front seat. Highway 185 is like the worst highway, I think, in the state. And that is all for the announcements. Praise the Lord. So, First Samuel is going to be where we're at this morning. I actually, I know it's kind of weird, but I put pew Bibles on the end of our chairs this morning. So if you don't have a Bible, our other pew Bibles didn't have the Old Testament in it. We've been in the New Testament so long that it hasn't really been necessary. But if you'll turn with me, if you're in a pew Bible, it's page 157. And in First Samuel, we're going to talk about what Steve alluded to this morning in his um, scriptures. Basically, we come upon this book which is really the beginning of a new era in the history of the nation of Israel. Uh, Israel had been, at, up until this point, ruled by judges. Even from the giving of the law, we had Moses coming down off of the mountain. He had the, the law that God had given him, 
And this law was something that he had to basically be a judge over. He would sit in judgment over the people. If they had uh, issues with one another, and you can imagine with 1.2 million people, there was plenty of people with issues. They would come to Moses and they'd say, hey, what does the law say about this interaction we just had with each other? And then Moses would go into the tabernacle, he would pray, he would look over the word of God, and then he would come out and he would make a judgment between the two people that were at odds with one another. And so from that point on, there were other judges raised up. Moses being, uh, I guess you could argue, maybe one of the first ones, but then there was other judges raised up. Some of the uh, most famous ones would be Samuel, and then maybe you think of Samson. Samson was kind of a playboy when it came to a judge. He kind of played around with what God had given him to do, and because of that, uh, there was lots of negative implications in his life and in his family. But that being said, God used him as a judge. He had called him to be a judge. He didn't take his responsibility serious. And so we all know him because of the haircut, right? We also know him because of um, at the end of his ministry, if you want to call it that, he basically was blinded by the king that captured him. They had cut his hair. They had bound him up. And then as a result of that, he said, you know, God, my hair's growing back. If you would use me one more time, I would like to serve you, Lord. And as a result of that, his final service to the Lord killed him. He was standing between two poles. They were making a spectacle of him. He was blind. He was tied up. Basically, they were going, hey, look what we did to your big, uh, mighty judge here. We're taking care of him and mocking the Israelites. And as a result of that, he's standing between these two huge pillars of this building. And they held up the whole building. And as he prayed, God gave him supernatural strength. This isn't just like a a Sunday school Bible story. This happened. He pushed these two pillars apart, and as a result of that, he killed all the Lord's enemies and himself. He died in the rubble. Now, uh, so that's, that's these judges, and there were many of them. This is just kind of a highlight of just two. But my point is, is this is how God was ruling his nation until the point that he came to the theocracy was over. They were supposed to hear from the Lord and make judgments, And many times they did, but what happened is when those judges would die and there wasn't another one raised up yet, over and over in the book of Judges, it says the people did what was right in their own eyes and there was no king in Israel. Now, we can see what happens when people do what's right in their own eyes. Our nation is not flourishing. People do what's right in their own eyes in our day and age, right? And, and because of that, there's no unity, there's no direction, everyone is really living for themselves. And we think, well, what's the big deal? Well, when everyone's living for themselves, their kingdoms sort of have overlapping boundaries, and next thing you know, there's problems. And so in the nation of Israel, this was always also true. So at a certain point, the people were having a famine of hearing from the Word of God. God had prophets, He had judges, and they weren't hearing any words from the Lord, Basically, he's like a parent that gets tired of telling his kids what to do. He didn't stop caring about them. He didn't stop knowing what was going on in their lives. He said, you know what? If you're not going to listen, I'm not going to talk. Interesting, isn't it? Many times you talk to your children, you parents, and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to let them do what they do. And when they get hurt or when something happens, I'm going to come in and say, not I told you so, but I tried to keep you from this. And parents are very gracious with that. And the Lord is very gracious as well. And so as he's very gracious, during this time of a famine of hearing from the word of God, he sends along this woman. And he starts 1 Samuel with this woman praying and being sorrowful over the fact that she's barren. 
And the nation of Israel at the time is barren from hearing the word of God. They're not listening. They don't know what to do. And there's all kinds of problems. And so God, by his grace, allows this woman to be barren. Now, how many of you think that if you knew a woman in your life that was not able to have children, you would see God's grace upon it? No, you'd be like, it would be almost like a curse. And if you've known anyone that's not been able to have children before, it feels to them like a curse, like a rottenness, like there's something wrong with them, there's shame involved. But what you'll find through this story is that God always has plans for everything. And I'm reading this passage this morning because, number one, we finished Galatians last night, or last week, but also because I wanted a little break from the New Testament. I wanted to go uh, study this story because, as Steve mentioned, this is a, a situation where in the Old Testament, parents dedicated their child to the Lord. So it says in 1 Samuel 1, there was a certain man of Ramathayim, Zophim, I didn't study my Hebrew, of the mountains of Ephraim. And his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite, and he had two wives. Now stop there, because obviously, I don't know any of these names. Do you guys? So what is the purpose? They always give these genealogies, and I don't know if you guys ever read through the Bible, but when you read through the Bible and you see these genealogies, it's very easy to go, what in the world is that there for? Like, I don't care who your cousin's neighbors, you know, like, it, it's overwhelming to me. But it's there because there's a lineage. There's an heritage. And so, as you look at these names, he's listing out these families that were Levites. And in the nation of Israel, there was 10% of the people that God called to serve the tabernacle. They were essentially like maintenance men at a big factory. And when the maintenance men get called in, it's because there's something that's broken or there's something that needs moved, or there's something that needs adjusted, but they are needed. They're deacons, they're servants. And so when they come in, they, there's these different tribes that are appointed to different tasks. Some of them carry the, the skin that goes over the tabernacle, because it was meant to move. You guys ever watch MASH? I've watched a little bit of it, just a little. Maybe all 11 seasons, about 10 times. But during that time in MASH, they, they were supposed to be a mobile army surgical hospital. Well, that's how the tabernacle was. They were to worship the Lord wherever he told them to stop. He led them by a pillar of cloud during the day to shade them and to lead them. But he led them by a pillar of fire by night, miraculously. And as he did this through the land, they would set up their camp. And in the middle of the camp would be the tabernacle. It would be covered in animal skins, and it would have all these elements inside. It would have the place where the priest could go, where the showbread was, and all these lamps, and there was all this symbology of heaven. But my point is, is somebody's got to move that, right? Nobody ever thinks about that, but anytime something's going on, an event, there's people working to make it happen. So these were the Levites. And so this man, Elkanah, is from this lineage. He's called to be a, a servant of the tabernacle, and his children will do the same. So verse 2, it says he's had two wives. Now, many times people read stuff like this in the Bible, and they go, now wait a minute, polygamy? What are we, Mormons? Like, what do we got going on here? And, but the point is, is that when you read the Bible, the beautiful thing about it is, is that they're honest about their heroes, most of the heroes in the Bible are actually big failures that God used anyway. And if you look at this 
particular case, this man had two wives. It would be like if you read the newspaper and you see an article that someone was driving down the street and they decided to do donuts in every parking lot that they went by. And by the time that the cops caught him, they threw him in jail. And he got out on bond because that's what happens. But he did something that is considered dangerous and illegal. It's against the law. You're not allowed to go up and down Main Street doing donuts for lots of different reasons. But my point is, is when you read that in the paper, the paper's not condoning that. They're just telling you the facts. The same thing's true in the Bible. When you see something, you're like, why is this in here? Is this okay? No, it's just telling you what this man had. He had two wives. It wasn't God's original plan. Read in Genesis. It says says there that, therefore, a a man and a woman shall leave their parents and cleave to one another. And so they will become one flesh. So that's God's original plan in marriage. But it says there, very frankly, he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, which means favored one. And the name of the other was Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. So you can already see that there's going to be some strife here. You see two wives, number one, there's going to be strife. One wife is enough. One wife can be more than enough, right? We can't take a whole lot of that. But when you have two wives involved, it's called double trouble. Just like when you have two teenage boys in a car. All of a sudden, there's not half a brain, but there's a quarter of a brain. There's this multiplier going on. But he's got two wives. One is able to have children and one is not. So it says there, this man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in a place called Shiloh, which means peaceful. So he's going up to worship. But before we get there, we see that he has two wives and this is the conflict. One has children, one does not. So the one that has children, Penina, is the one that essentially is the second wife. And I say that because in that culture, what you would know is that they were very big on having big families. And so because of that, if you couldn't perpetuate the family name, it was culturally acceptable to take a second wife. I did not say it was biblically acceptable, so it was culturally. Just like we studied a few weeks ago, or several months ago in Corinthians, what happens is that people stop listening to the Word of God, they start relying on their own understanding, the culture that surrounds them, and they just soak it up as if God's okay with it. Next thing you know, they're doing things that God abhors because, well, everybody else is. Bad company corrupts good morals. So here we are. He's taken a second wife because he can't have children. Like you can imagine what this would do to his first wife. This would tear her up. Can you imagine if your spouse wasn't satisfied with you and took another spouse? What do you do with that? What does that do to you? And so this is the situation that Hannah is in. She's hurting deep down. She's tore up from the floor up. She's not enough. And so because of that, she's brokenhearted. And it says here, this man went to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, they were there, and priests of the Lord were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make his offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. So she had several, it seems like. 
And then it says, but to Hannah, he would give a double portion. For he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. So they didn't look at this like something that accidentally happened that they had to fix. They knew that the hand of the Lord was on their lives. And so many times we look at our life situations, we go, well, that was just an accident or that was a circumstance. But what God shows us through this is that even when the Lord allows someone to not have children, his hand is upon that. Now, I will tell you that anytime God allows you to go through a trial, he has his hand on the thermostat while he's turning up the heat, if that makes sense. So he's, he's controlling that thing, but he also knows that it might break you. But he will not allow you to be tempted past what you can bear. He will always give you a way of escape. And so she, this woman is broken. And then on top of that, look at verse 6. It says, her rival, that word means adversary, also provoked her severely. This is talking about the other wife. I think there was a TV show called that, The Other Wife. And it was probably a reality show. But my point is, is that she provoked her. She wasn't just the other wife that kind of hung out and they had coffee together and they raised each other's kids together. They were adversaries. They were at one another. And you can imagine that that would be the case. They felt uh, challenged by one another. So they provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that Panina provoked her, therefore she wept and she did not eat. Have you ever been so sorrowful or upset or anxious about something you couldn't eat? Have you been so broken about something that you couldn't possibly take care of yourself? You just kind of waste away. It eats at you from the inside out. That's where she was. I don't know about you guys. I like eating. I like eating a lot. And here's the deal. If something gets me so upset I won't eat, it's pretty heavy. It's not like, oh man, my God. You know, even my favorite animal, radar, in my house, if he got hit by a, a car, I guarantee I'd still be eating a steak for dinner if I had a steak. I'd still be eating. You know, it wouldn't take me that deep in sorrow. I would be upset. I would cry. But here's the deal. I, I wouldn't be this upset. She was broken. And so I think I've made a case over and over for her brokenness. So it was year by year, though, she was still going up to the house of the Lord to pray. I want you to notice that when she was broken, when she was hurting, when God didn't give her what she wanted, she still praised him. She still went up to worship. And so, verse 8, then Elkanah, her husband, comes in. Now, when your wife is going through something very deep that you don't understand, you're going to do exactly what Elkanah does here. You are going to take that big size 10 and you're going to put it in your face and you're going to chew on it. And she's going to be very upset. He puts his foot in his mouth. says there, Hannah, why do you weep? So he has no idea why she's upset. This is not like a new thing. It's been going on for years. Why are you crying? He's not even been paying attention to his wife. He says, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? And then he says, the kicker, am I not better to you than 10 sons? What's the answer to that? No, no, you're not. Because if you were, she wouldn't be crying about it. She wants to have a child so bad that she is broken. And because of that, 
her husband, who was supposed to be her co-responder, her valiant soldier there to help her when she's down, what does he do? He says, am I not good enough? You got me? What, What do you need kids for? And she's just completely misunderstood. So even the one that's closest to her cannot help her in this deepest amount of grief. And here's the reality. Even if you're the best husband in the world, more than likely, even if you're there with her and you listen and all those things, you still won't be able to help. Even if you're like the best husband in the world. She doesn't want you to fix it. She wants you to listen. I'm guilty. I try to fix everything. But sometimes my wife has to look at me and go, look, I'm getting ready to pour out some stuff on you, but not because I want you to fix it. You can't fix it. I just need you to listen. She's very gracious because I'm hard-headed. I don't listen well. But here's the deal. Hannah arose after they had finished eating. That was part of their worship. Every year they went up three times to the tabernacle to worship at Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles, and the harvest or Pentecost. And so when they would do that, basically there would be a fellowship meal and they would go and worship and they could make, uh, we get to make a sacrifice of praise, right? That's what we did at the beginning. They'd have to kill an animal. So they would kill the animal, they would give it to the Lord, it would be the, from the first fruits of their increase in their farm, and they would sacrifice the animal that they could have eaten. So it cost them something. But they would do that to honor the Lord and recognize everything they've been given is from God. And so as they made this sacrifice, they would eat and then they would go and they would pray. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating they would drink and drinking in Shiloh. And Eli the priest sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. So there the priest was in the tabernacle. But notice verse 10, she was in bitterness of soul and she went and she knelt. I don't know if there was an altar there or a place for her to pray, but she went down and she knelt and she prayed. She was in bitterness of soul. She prayed to the Lord and she wept in anguish. And then she made a vow. Now in Numbers chapter 30, it says this. It's better if you don't make a vow. Because if you make a vow to the Lord, you better fulfill it. But it says if you do make a vow, make sure you make it happen. Shouldn't just be words. It should be what you do. But then there's also a provision, and this is going to sound in our culture a little wrong, but husbands get the final say. So if a wife, in her distress, makes a vow to the Lord, and the husband disagrees with it, on the day that he hears of the vow, he has the opportunity to veto or annul it, or he can say, let it be so. Well, we'll find out later that Elkanah said, let it be so. So she makes a vow to the Lord. And here's what she prays. I'm going to spend a little time on this. It says, O Lord of hosts, that means God of angel armies, God of uh, um, heavenly hosts, God of the galaxies. But he says, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. So notice how she prays. Many times we're a little bit uh, like, I don't know if I can pray this or not. God wants us to pray realistically. He doesn't want us to recite some written down thing that you never even thought. He wants you to be real with him. 
Parents want their kids to be real with them. If your kids came to you and they wrote something down and they read it to you, or they read something to you that they'd never written and they said it to you, you'd be like, this is the worst relationship ever. You want people to be real with you. And, and God wants us to be real with him. So she prays out of her hurting and her affliction, God can take it. If you are broken, and if you're getting ready to say some heavy stuff to the Lord, he's got big enough shoulders to take it. So she prays passionately. If King David and some of the other writers of the Psalms didn't write honestly about their situation, we wouldn't have the Psalm books. We wouldn't have these honest people saying, God, I'm hurting. Break the teeth of my enemies. That's what they said. Notice that she didn't go to Penina and start having vengeance on her. Notice that she went to the Lord with this brokenness. She didn't start talking to her girlfriends and say, man, my husband, he's a big old turd. She didn't do that. She prayed for him. And when she did that, guess what happened? We're going to find out later. Samuel means God heard. His name means God heard. The very fulfillment of her prayer was that God heard. Now, I know most people in this life would just like to be heard. Just for five minutes. Just listen to me. I have something to say. To be heard means to be acknowledged as a human being, as someone else that has feelings and fears and shames and guilt and worry and all those things. Sometimes we just want to pour it out and nobody understands, but God does. And so he listens and she prays passionately. She also noticed she's been going up to the tabernacle for years. She prays persistently. If you won't pray for something for seven days, do you think that God can trust you with it? Your kids ever ask you for something and they're like, man, I'd really like to have this. And then you ask them the next day about it and they don't even remember asking you because it's like, Boop. I, I just had a random thought. I need this. You know, kids are real bad about that. We had a, I had a youth group in Farmington and one of the kids one time said, hey, I think it'd be cool if we do this event and I'd be involved in it and I'd love to do it. And I think other people would be involved in it too. And so I start, you know, I was new at this. And so I was like, hey, He's paying attention. He's interested in something. So I started making preparations and plans, making phone calls, getting the cars ready. We're going to go do this thing. And I, a week later, I said, hey, I've been working on this. What do you think? And he goes, what are you talking about? And I was like, what? I wasted hours and money. Like, what do, we, what do you mean? What am I talking about? You said you wanted to do this. He goes, yeah, I decided later I wasn't really that into it. That's teenagers, right? They, you know, like, my parents bought me a guitar one time, and an electric guitar. I don't think I ever played the thing, but they got it for me because I was interested in having it. You know, they wanted to encourage me to do something I was interested in. It, so that's what happens, and, and the Lord is like that. If we are persistent to pray to Him, if we are passionate about it, real. Now, I'm not talking about, like, making yourself seem passionate. I'm talking about just honest with Him about things, and we're persistent. What happens is that the Lord knows that He can trust us with it. He knows we're serious about it. If you can pray about things for seven days in a row, God, God knows he can trust. Now, that's not like a formula. Like if you pray seven times, God will give you this. But then he, he notice she also prays pointedly. You ever feel like you can't pray specific because you're not sure what God wants to do? She was like, you know what? I'm going to throw this up there, Lord. This is what I want. You sift through it if it's your will or not. That's what Jesus prayed. He said, Lord, I, 
I hope that this cup of suffering can pass from me, that people can be saved, not according to me dying, but some other way. If there's any other way, would you let it happen? He says, yet, yet nonetheless, not my will, but yours be done. He was surrendered. And that's where she's at. She's surrendered. So she prays specifically. She says this, and I think it's a very bold prayer. She says, if you will give me not only a child, but a male child, then here's the deal. I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. That was the idea of a, um, a Nazarite vow, according to Numbers chapter 6. So in verse 12, it says, it happened as she continued praying, she reaches some more opposition, no longer from her family, but now somebody inside the church. <laughs> She prays before the Lord, and Eli, the priest, watched her mouth. And Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice wasn't heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. See, when they were eating at the table, celebrating at the feast, they were drinking real wine. They were eating bread. You know, they were fellowshipping together, and as a result of that, he, he thinks that she's drunk because she's, it seems like she's praying, but she, her lips are moving, but she's not saying anything. And, and so he goes in there, guns a-blazing, and he says, how long will you be drunk? He says, put your wine away from you. And Hannah answered, and she said, no, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. Not spirits, but spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Don't consider your maidservant a wicked servant, coming into the house of the Lord sloshed, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, this is how I've spoken until now. And then Eli answered here. He kind of backs off. He's like, whoa, I was, a little, I was a little zealous calling you a drunkard. And he says, go in peace and the God of Israel, may he grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and she ate and her face was no longer sad. She, was, she went into the tabernacle completely distraught and anxious and worrisome and broken, and she comes out different. What's changed? Does she have a child now? What, what's going on here? But if you turn with me to Philippians in chapter 4, I didn't write down the page number for the Pew Bible, sorry. We were in uh, Galatians Ephesians, Philippians. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Don't listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm thinking. <clears throat> In chapter 6. Chapter 4, verse 6. I'll get there. All right. It says this. Paul writes, he says, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. He says, don't be anxious about this thing. He says, here's what you need to do. Pray. And so many people think, man, that prayer, you're not doing anything. But here's the deal. Praying is not how I get my will done in heaven. 
Prayer is how God gets his will done on earth. It's where he gets me to my knees where I'm saying, Lord, I'm surrendering to however you want to do this. And if you're going to say no, I'm okay with it. If you're going to say wait, I'll wait. And if you're going to say yes, I'll praise you. Either way, now I know it's in your hands and you'll take care of it. Many times we try to take care of these things on our own. And the best that that had done for Elkanah so far is he had married another woman. Had that fixed the problem of Hannah not being able to have any, any children? Absolutely not. It only added more problems. And so she's prayed and now she walks out in confidence, not because anything's changed other than she's given it to the Lord. And if I can say anything, it's when you're broken, when you're at your last leg, don't wait till you get to that point to pray. Pray first. Perhaps that will guard your heart and your mind before you get to that place. And then it says, Then they rose early in the morning, they worshiped before the Lord, and they returned and came back to their house where they lived in Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, very literally, biblically, he knew his wife. And because of that, the Lord remembered her. And so it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and she bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, saying, Because I've asked for him from the Lord. Samuel means asked of. And it also means God heard. It's kind of a weird word, but it, it means that God heard and, and I asked for this child and now God's answered. Here's the problem. Here's the hard part. When God answers our prayers, many times we're like, cool, I can go on with my life. But if that's the case, Hannah gets this child but doesn't fulfill her vow. Because many times, rather than worshiping the gift giver, we worship the gift. Many of us have prayed for children. Wayne was praying about that earlier. You can pray for your children, you get the children, and then you forget to give them to the Lord. And because of that, and I'm not saying that Wayne did that. I'm just saying that many times, especially in our culture, we, don't, we worship our children instead of the Lord. And because of that, they become this big idol. And when they fail, our whole world collapses. So are you worshiping the gift or the gift giver? Because it'll, be, it'll prove in the long run which one you're worshiping. Because idols will let you down, but God never does. And then it says, The man Elkanah all, and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice. So I think I skipped some verses. <clears throat> nope. She bore a son, called his name Samuel, because the Lord, because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned. So there's wisdom in this. Can you imagine taking a below three-year-old child to a tabernacle and saying, hey, I know you guys got, you know, tabernacle stuff to do, but here's a screaming kid. Thanks for that. So there's a lot of wisdom. You, it almost seems like she's going, I don't know if I want to let go of this kid, but that's not the case. She's just saying, hey, I'm going to wait until he's weaned and ready to serve. And many believe that she took him there at three years of age. And I think about my little three-year-old, and I'm like, man, that's still a handful. But she, he was going to live in the house of the Lord and be raised by the priests. And, uh, and what happens is it says uh, in verse 23, So Elkanah, her husband, says this to her. And men, I want you to perk your ears up. This is good wisdom from Elkanah here. He is no longer shoving his ten-foot or his huge foot in his mouth, he's now going to say something wise. 
Elkanah looks at his husband and says to her, er, at her. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, hey, I should just read it. Said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Men, when your wife decides she wants to do something for the Lord, and you're not quite keen on it, but it seems good, and there's really no sin involved, you need to say this. Exactly what he said. Do what seems best to you. Only, he says, let the Lord establish his word. So do what seems best to you according to God's word. So there's a disclaimer there. As long as you're following the Lord, I'm going to support you in this thing. And men, if you will say that and and don't micromanage, here's what's going to happen. Your wife is going to flourish. You're going to have given her a place and a space to grow in her relationship with the Lord. And as a result of that, you're going to be a blessed man. Read Proverbs 31. You're going to be a blessed man. Take it from someone who knows. I'm not a good husband. I just know when to say, do all that's in your heart as long as it's according to the word of the Lord. And as a result of that, I'm, I'm blessed way more uh, than I would be if I tried to micromanage. So, <clears throat> when she had weaned him, verse 24, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah flour, and a skin of wine. She's going to worship. She's taking this prescribed um, offering. And she brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. They slaughtered the bull. They brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh, my Lord, as your soul lives... I am the woman who stood by you here and you called drunk. Does, does he say that? <laughs> no, she doesn't say that to him. She's very gracious. Hey, remember me? I came to, to the tabernacle to worship and you said I was drunk. Remember me? No, she says this. She says, I was the woman who stood by you and prayed and the Lord, according to what you said, has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives he shall also be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped and the Lord, so they worshiped the Lord there. Their response was praise. They gave their child to the Lord. And I, I want to say that this is not something you do one time. This can be a daily, this can be an hourly, this can be a weekly, this can be a monthly. Over and over again, we have to give our children to the Lord. And what I want to point out is if you will give your children to the Lord, Many times you might have plans for your kids. Everyone does. It's part of it. I'm already making plans for my two kids. I know what, what year we're going to start hunting. I know what year we're going to start going camping. God's plans for our children are going to be way more cool than our plans are. That doesn't mean we can't enjoy them. That doesn't mean we can't show them how to do things. That only means that we need to, to hold on to them loosely. You know, like the song, Hold on loosely, but don't let go. It's the same thing, except, you know, God said it instead. So my point is, is he, they're letting go of this child, and because of that, God's going to use this child for a far greater purpose. Think about it. What did Hannah want to do? She wanted to give her husband someone to carry his name to the next generation. But because she wasn't able to have children, that dream had to die, right? But because she gave it to the Lord... God gave her a son. Not only did she give, get, a, get a man to pass on the family name, but she was also given a young man who would be a prophet in the nation of Israel, who would anoint kings, and who would hear from the Lord. We'll find out in the next few chapters that he hears from the Lord, 
And then he speaks those words to the people. And because of that, they are restored as a nation, brought back to their proper place. The kingdom flourishes under his leadership. All because one child was given to the Lord and let go of. So just fast forward to the next chapter, verse 18 through 21, chapter 2. It says, Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year. You can imagine when he, she came up, I can't believe your face is so dirty. A little spit shine, you know, making sure his hair is right. I made this outfit for you. And mom, the guys are going to make fun of me. Everybody else has standard issue, you know. And, but she's still involved in his life. She's still praying for him. She's still making him clothes. She's still embarrassing the tar out of him. She's still a mom, right? But look what it says. She does this when she goes to make up the yearly sacrifice. She's not there constantly. But then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. And then they would go to their own home. And it says there in verse 21, The Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew up before the Lord. God gave her more kids. Now, there's no guarantee in this, but what I'm saying is what Jesus said. He who seeks to keep his life will lose it, and he who is willing to give up his life for my sake will find it. She wanted kids more than anything. She just had to be willing to let go of them, and when she let go of them, God just, he just blessed her. I can't explain it any other way than that, and so may we be those who would be willing to do the same. Father, thank you so much for the life of this woman who you used as a huge blessing to the nation through her brokenness. May we be those who are willing to be broken, to see that our brokenness is not in vain, but perhaps you're trying to do something far greater than us. I thank you for your word and how you inspire us by your spirit and you teach us things. I pray that each one here would leave today with something of a, a word from you. I know that you've ministered to me through this passage. I know that your desire is to have us be men and women who would let go of the things of this life and give them back to you so that you can multiply them and bless the world through them. Thank you that you knew what it was like to give up your son, that Jesus was the sacrificial lamb, not just given for service, but given for a blood sacrifice so that we could have our sins no longer just covered but washed away clean completely. Father, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your love. And thank you for this story that we can glean from. In Jesus' name, amen.